Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. So I chose this psalm uh, for, for lots of reasons, but one is uh, I thought I'd just bring you into a devotional that I had several months ago. So I'm in the pattern of uh, a lot of times in my devotional life, I'll take, uh, I'll take the psalms. And just for example, if you started on January 1st and you read Psalm 1, and then you read Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121, over a 30-day span, over a month, you could finish all the Psalms. And it's not an overwhelming task. Most of the Psalms are pretty readable in a sitting. And I've, so I've been in the pattern of doing this over the last several years. And inevitably, on one of these days, I'll, one of the Psalms will jump out. Well, on August 7th of this year, I was doing that drill, and I hit, August, I hit Psalm 7, in Psalm 37, and I didn't make it to the rest of them that day because I, the Lord used this psalm uh, dramatically in my life. And here's how I've summed it up, and we've joked around the office. This psalm uh, helped me to see that I am a fretter. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird word. We were joking. It's like, sounds like something you'd buy at White Castle, a fretter <laughs> or something. But I'm a fretter. Uh, and so I've been repenting of being a fretter. Uh, and and I'll, I'll explain what that is. But what this psalm also says is, though you might be a fretter, here's some ways you cannot be a fretter. Because the whole of the human experience is one of waiting. And if you're like me, I'm not real good at waiting. I'm not super patient as a person. Uh, I'm groomed by our culture to, to be in a hurry. Uh, but as I titled the sermon, most of our human experience is hurry up and wait. <laughs> hurry up and wait some more. Hurry up and wait some more. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'll start with some trivial and get to some more significant and deeper. Christmas morning, right? Our, our tradition as a family, when we had little kids, our kids are all grown now, but we would make them wait at the top of the steps before they could come down and open their Christmas presents, and we would intentionally turn the crank on the bike or hit the button on the Thomas the train engine and so that they would, you know, kind of, and you could just feel the anxiety level going like, oh, is that for me? Is that not? And then we'd let them go from youngest to oldest, and they'd run down the steps, and their waiting would give way to, you know, joyful bliss anticipation. Danielle and I celebrated 25 years of wedding, uh, of, of marriage on the 14th of December. 25 years. Very exciting. But I can remember, like it was yesterday, that anxious waiting for her to appear in the first look room that we had, uh, or you may be, you know, you other guys may have been waiting for your bride to come down the aisle, but that anticipation, which is excitement and worry and dread and fear and, and all of that as you're about to get married. 
but we're waiting on your bride to come. Birth of a child. I have four children. Uh, nine months of waiting for that child to come. Uh, the anticipation, the anxiety, and might I say the fretting uh, begins to escalate as you think of the unbelievable task of bringing another human being into this world. We moved from Atlanta, Georgia in 2003. Atlanta is known for traffic. Every one of you should have said it. Traffic. So we moved to Lexington. We were glad to get out of Atlanta traffic. And I'm sitting on Nicholasville Road in 2003 trying to turn left on the new circle. You know that red light? It just repeats itself and you just pass your way on through it. And I'm like, this is great, you know. Five o'clock traffic. Officer Don is on the radio. Traffic in Lexington is the worst it's been in years. And I'm looking around going, ha, it's not Atlanta. <laughs> now, guess what I do 18 years later at that light, Nicholasville, the Nicholasville uh, turning down to go to a new circle. Honking my horn. Why is this going? Now, I hate the traffic in Lexington now. Waiting, not very good at it. But it's all about perspective. All right, let's go a little deeper. What about history? Robert just preached three Advent sermons from the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah. Literally 700 years of waiting. God's people had to hear sermon after sermon reading after reading about the coming Messiah and had to wait 700 years for him to come. Or think about Jesus' parents on earth, Mary and Joseph. They were told by an angel, Gabriel, right? The baby you're going to have is the Son of God. It's a miracle baby. He's the Savior of the world. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And he's born, and they have to wait 30 years for him to do anything that would signify that he was going to be the Savior of the world. What about our waiting? We wait, and we wait. Is Jesus going to come? We stand in this pulpit. This church has been in existence for over 30 years, and faithfully, men of God and women of God have spoken from this pulpit in these Sunday school classes over and over the promises of God. Jesus will come back, and yet we wait, and we wait. I'll never forget sitting with one of my children studying their history lesson. And they were studying ancient Mesopotamia or ancient Egypt or one of those things. So you history buffs, don't, don't, don't curse me for my lack of detail here. But it was something like this. The Pharaoh came at 3255 B.C. and did this. Jumped down 2988 B.C. Pharaoh did this. Jumped down 2244. Pharaoh did this. And I'm like, wait a minute. We just skipped 700 years to cover Egypt's history. Is that what they're going to do with our history in a few years? Is just go, is every several hundred years such and such happened? Because we continue to wait and wait and wait. What about creation? I did some reading recently on the mayfly. You know the, the lifespan of one mayfly is 24 hours. That's all he lives. And this writer was talking about, what if a mayfly was hovering over in his 24-hour period over a pool of tadpoles? And he would die thinking that's all that is, is a tadpole. But we know that tadpole is going to become a frog eventually. The mayfly doesn't get that experience. All he knows is that's a tadpole. What if we all had the mayfly perspective about the world? It'd be pretty short-sighted, wouldn't it? We wouldn't see the full picture 
all of this, I'm, I'm trying to belabor the point that waiting is a, is a matter that we all have to be a part of. We all wait. But it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of patience. What do you do while you wait? What do we do as we wait for God to reveal his full will and to complete the redemption that he's promised? Well, this psalm tells us what we should not do and then what we should do. And this is an interesting psalm. The psalms were used in Israel's worship, kind of like we do. Their, their, their liturgy, there were, there were prayers, there were songs, and there are ones like this. Psalm 37 is what they call wisdom literature. They were written in a way as to give instruction, much like the book of Proverbs, where the, the lines don't seem connected in any kind of form other than they're just wise proverbial statements. This one, if you look, even as you look at it, as it's written even in your bulletin, every two or three stanzas in the Hebrew was actually an, an, an acronym for the Hebrew alphabet. And so this, the, David wrote this as a poem using the Hebrew alphabet with some wise sayings to God's people. And the theme of Psalm 37 is that God will accomplish his purposes. He will be the one to bring vengeance. He will be the one to bring justice to the earth. What do you do while you wait? What does God's people do while they wait for that? All right, so let's look at it. Let's first look at the negative, what you should not do. Verse 1 and verse 7, and then it happens again later in the psalm, the same phrase. Verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Or verse 7, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evildoers, evil devices. What he's saying is, listen, we all look out and see that the world is not as it should be. Things are happening that we don't no, we, that we know God doesn't intend, and it's not good for the world. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. Evil tends to prosper. The wicked seem to make money. The, evils, the, the wicked people tend to, to conquer nations. They tend to have families. They tend to uh, uh, apparently succeed in life. And he says, fret not. The word fret here has multiple meanings, but this is basically what it means. It means to have an emotional response, an angry response to a perceived injustice or unrighteousness around you. But it's a step further. It's not just an emotional response. It's actually then a plotting of how to carry out that vengeance yourself. Do you understand what he's saying? Fretting is not just looking at something and seeing that it's not right. It's seeing that it's not right and then making applications yourself to go finish the job. Take it into your own hands. Accomplish justice or righteousness yourself. To say it simply, fretting is having a deep burden about something and being deeply concerned than trying to fix the problem yourself. How this looks for me. I see, see something that isn't right in the world. I mull it over and over in my head, trying to come up with a scenario, a speech, an action, something I can plan to do to eradicate that myself. Hence, the last several months, I've been repenting of being a fretter. I fret. I fret a lot. But I hear God say, don't fret. It's so bad for me. when I, I, I can see my fretting even when I drive. If you cut me off and I don't like it, I'm going to plot five cars ahead of you how to get in front of you and stop you at the next light. Just to slow your busy self down. 
In fact, I'm such a fretter, I got in a fist fight in the middle of a highway in college because I didn't like the way a bozo was driving behind me. I cut him off, he cut me off, we wrecked, we got in a fist fight, he went to jail for assault, and I won the fight. (laughs) Took justice into my own hands, right? I'm a fretter. Right now, There are two situations in my life that I know that if God doesn't intervene, it's going to go the way of seeing the wicked prosper. I I can see it. But you know what I'm tempted to do? I'm tempted to insert myself in various different ways to try to make this go the way I think God ought to have it go. In fact, two days ago, I was so tore up about this fretting, I thought, you know what? I'm going to send a text to one of the guys wishing him a Merry Christmas. It was a total manipulation on my end to see if he might respond to the situation that I'm hoping God will use my wisdom on. But I know in my soul what I'm doing. I'm fretting. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm trying to take it into my own hands. And so even this week, I'm back in this psalm saying, Lord, forgive me for fretting. And then we get to the good news. Here's what you can do. You don't have to be a fretter, Will. And if you're like me, good news. You don't have to be a fretter. Verse 3, what do you do? Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. I was thinking about this. If I I had an emoji for this verse, it would just be all happy faces and like things. It's just a happy verse. Trust in the Lord. Befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Do good. Will, don't trust in your own power, ability, insight, strength, wealth, control, words, influence, experience. Don't trust in those. Trust in the Lord. Will, do good. Don't seek vengeance. Don't slander. Don't find ways to fault or judge. Don't send probing texts, posts to see if you can get a response. Do good. Will, dwell in the land. Do what is right in front of you. Don't play out hypothetical situations. Don't let your mind race and run. Be present. Don't wish for something else. Dwell in the land. The scriptures say today is the day that the Lord has made. Jesus taught today has enough trouble of its own. I had a mentor say this, today is a gift. That is exactly why it is called the present. And I need to hear that. Live right now, Will. Live in the present. A fretter makes hypothetical situations with every contingency. And then he says, befriend faithfulness. The word was actually a word that the shepherds would use to, to lead their sheep to graze in pastures. Feed on faithfulness is really what it could say. Find pastures and eat there. Do things that are simple and peaceful and be like a sheep, Will. Just spend your day grazing patiently in a field that your shepherd has led you to. So if I were to summarize verse 3's wisdom, it would be calm down. Settle down, Will. Relax. Take a deep breath. Take a chill pill. God is in control. His purposes and plans that he will execute in his timing are coming. Trust him. Eat the grass that he has led you to eat at the time in your life. Calm down. Verse 4. There's another one that's a happy sounding verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a little bit scary if you think about it. This verse says that he's going to give you the desires of your heart. I know my heart and most of the time that's probably not a good thing. 
But what if God were to change my heart to align with his desires? And he says, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because I've delighted in him. I'm going to take a risk here. Uh, 35 years ago, the founding pastor of this church, Al Lutz, is a, a, a great man, legend. He used to preach with a flannel board, visual aids, right? How many of you were here when Al was preaching with flannel boards? All right, good. Well, I don't have a flannel board, but I do have props. Visual aid for Psalm 34. Okay, the book that I'm going to recommend in a second. Coffee mug and a jar full of sand. Pretend that these are all decisions you're about to make. A job you're going to take, a spouse you're going to marry, a decision with a kid, a school you're going to go to, and these are the options. And there's much more. We're just going to do three, and I hope that doesn't fall off and break. All right, so you got this visual aid, right? God is saying, hey, you've got a choice to make. Pick one. Which one are you going to do? Which one is God's will? And this is the typical response. I'll just this is me, right? Oh my goodness, this is so stressful. Which one does God want me to take? If I do this one, then this happens. If that one, I'm fretting already because all these decisions, they're all great. I'm, I'm going to mess up the whole universe if I don't pick the right one. God, give me a sign, a shooting star, something, a, a letter, a song. Give me something to know that I'm going to pick the right one. Okay, I prayed, I fasted. Okay, I'm going to take this one. Oh, and God was up there saying, Will, it was the book. Oh, I should have taken the book. Oh, this. That's how we do it, right? That's what a fretter does. That's not what God's doing. What this verse says is, hey, all these are your options. I want your delight. Now pick one. I don't care which one. Now he does. He has an eternal will that he's going to execute. You don't, you're not privy to that. All you're privy to is where's your delight. And if you delight in God, pick one. Pick one. I delight in you, God. Help me now. Or I delight in you, God. Help me. You see how that works? Because when you delight in him... He changes your heart. He changes your desires. And now you're free. You're free to not fret, to not project out, to not assume you know what's best, to not take vengeance in your own hand, to not try to take this thing bull by the horns. You're free. Pick one. God loves you. And he wants your delight more than he wants anything. Delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. So calm down. Delight in the Lord. Verse five. Commit your way to the Lord Trust in him, and he will act. Here we go, right? The word commit literally means a ball rolling down a hill. It, once it gets in a direction, it's going in a direction. It's rolling downhill. That's what commit. The ball rolling downhill is fully committed to going down the hill. He is saying, commit your way to the Lord. Get it going down the hill. Follow the Lord. Trust in him. Why? He will act. So, Will, delight yourself in him. You'll be on his path. Your desires will be his desires. You commit your way to him. He's going to act. And when he acts, you'll be right there in the center of his will as he acts. I think about this a lot because the Bible, the way I think about this idea of committing my way to the Lord, trusting in him, watching him work, is in the idea, of the phrase we kind of throw around, walk with God. Walk with God. This is in the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have a walk with God. And I think about this a lot. I've, I've used this illustration many ways before, but what if I, my wife's name is Danielle. What if I said to Danielle this afternoon, this, you know, this warm spring day that we have here in December, uh, hey babe, let's, let's go for a walk. She's like, it'd be great. Let's go walk together. And we head out the front door and I go, all right, let's go for a walk. Was that a good step? Was that a good step? 
Hey, there's a dog up here. We've got to be careful of that dog. And, and right around the corner there, there's that hornet's nest. Be careful up there. There's the fretter going again. I can't even enjoy a walk with my wife because I'm fretting about whether I'm walking right or whether we're going to get eaten by a dog or whether the car's going to pull out in front of us or whether the sidewalk's going to trip me up or I'm going to pull a hamstring or whatever. That's not an enjoyable walk. She's going to be like, can we go home? This is not very enjoyable. And she'd be right. To walk with God means to just walk with God. Enjoy the time, delighting him. Commit your way to him. Can there be anything better in all the world than to work in sync with the one who makes all things work together for his glory and my good? Can there be anything better than that? No way. Because he's going to act. Verse 6, what will he do? He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Notice the pronoun there? Your justice, your righteousness. Whatever it is you see in the world that is wrong, God sees too. What he is saying is your perception of the justice or righteousness issue is not off. The fact that you think you can now move into the God role and handle it righteously and justly is what's off and wrong. But he's saying, listen, if you will delight in me, If you will trust in me, you will commit your way to me. I'm going to act. And that thing that you're burdened about, I'm going to bring to light. I'm going to bring to justice. I'm going to bring as bright as the noonday. Why? Because I'm concerned about it. And you're walking with me in that issue. This is why, this is one of the reasons why I think Jesus is called the light of the world. He came to expose all the unrighteousness and injustice in the world. And so as I walk with Jesus, I walk with him in that exposure. He came to proclaim liberty. He came to proclaim freedom. And one day he will come again to enact God's final judgment on the earth. And until then, we wait. What do we do in this period of waiting? While the world prospers and all its evil, what do we do when it seems like we're scared and angry and frustrated because the world is just getting worse and worse? What do you do? You wait. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. I don't know about you, but stillness and patience aren't one of my, two of my best virtues. I'm busy. I'm active. My mind is racing all the time. This doesn't just say, though, sit idly by and do nothing. He says, be still before the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, be still. The Lord is at work. The Lord is acting. The Lord is accomplishing righteousness and justice on the earth. So when you wait before him, you are involved in what he's doing. It's just not you doing it. It's him doing it in his way, in his timing. Patiently wait on him. So according to this psalm, when we see the wicked prosper, when the world is not as we know it should be, don't fret. Calm down. Delight in God. Commit your path to him. Wait patiently before him. So you may be thinking, it's like, man, I I can relate to all that. How do I do that? There's lots of ways, and there's lots of of material out there. I was going to give you just two maybe helpful applications to how you can avoid fretting and trust the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. Here they are, the first one. I really believe, and, and some of you can relate to this, you become what you meditate on. Okay? You, you take on the, the attitudes, the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts of that, that 
or those things that you meditate on, the things you think about most. So if your source for how you view the world is a news agency or a, a, a social media app or your friends or coworkers, then you're going to take on their anxiety. You're going to take on their pressure. You're going to take on their perspective. Let's flip that narrative. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the word of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This man or woman will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. You see? Where the meditation comes, if you will be like this man who meditates on the word of God, you will be like a tree who has fruit in its season and is healthy. So ask yourself, what are you meditating on? We have, there's a, there's a very, very uh, way too close to home story in, in the gospel of Luke where Jesus is visiting his, the home of his friend Lazarus and, and his sisters Mary and Martha. And you all know the story. Because you got Mary, uh, who's understood Psalm 37 very well and is applying it. And she's sitting there patiently at Jesus' feet. And then you've got Martha, who's in the Fretter Club with me, uh, busily around, making arrangements, serving Jesus, making sure he feels warm and hospitable and got all the food he needs and his drinks are full and his shoes are, you know, taken care of and all that. And she's busy. But, and, and as typical Fretters do, once they realize they're doing all the work and the, the patient, calm, kind, delighting ones are sitting there with Jesus, they begin to harass and judge and criticize their lack of effort. So Martha says, Jesus, are you going to just let my sister sit there? Tell her to help serve. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. He could have said, fret not yourself. But he said, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen it. It's pretty close to home picture, right? Here we have Jesus in our presence and are busy serving him, trying to accomplish his will. So maybe think about what you meditate on, who you meditate on. The second is deal with the enemy that is within first. So I'll just commend this book to you. Robert mentioned this principle a couple weeks ago. If you haven't read this book, it's called The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard. Um, it is a, a synopsis of... Um, uh, Owen, uh, John Owen's Mortification of Sin. Mortification of Sin is about that thick. This one is 122 pages. Uh, you can handle this one. But it's a really good summary of how do you deal with the enemy within. And what he talks about and what we're talking about here is kind of what Jesus said. How can you look at your friend's eye and see a speck of dust in it when you have a beam in your own? Will if you're upset about reckless drivers, do you text while you drive? Yikes. But that's what he's getting at here, right? You're upset about reckless drivers, but you're a reckless driver. Will, you're upset about fake news. Do you always tell the truth? No. Will, you're upset by this. Do you? That's what Jesus would say. I remember this very distinctly when my kids were little. They, they, you know, they got to that age where their voice was annoyingly loud when they would yell around the house. And, and so there, one day it was excessively loud. And I stood up and said, why is everybody yelling in this house? And I was like, why are you yelling in this house? Maybe if you quit yelling, they'd quit yelling. It's just that, that principle. If I got to deal with this in here first before I deal with that out there. And that's what Jesus came to do. 
You know, when Jesus, Robert and I both talked about this the last couple of, last couple of sermons, is there's that, that prophecy in Isaiah 61 that Jesus then read and applied to himself in Luke 4. And, it, and it's that prophecy where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's filled me and anointed me to go proclaim liberty to the captives, to heal diseases. And, and then he finishes the prophecy before it is actually finished, and he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stops. The next verse says, and to bring, in essence, God's judgment on the earth. And we made the point that in Jesus' first advent, what he came to do was deal with the sin problem of the earth. The problem that you and I all have. We, like all wicked people, like the worst criminals in the world, we all have the same problem. It's an internal sin problem. And Jesus came to deal with that problem on your behalf. But friend, this Savior who died on a cross and rose from the grave on your behalf is the reigning king. And he is going to come back one day and deal with all the injustice all over the world. The, the judge will have his day in court. And on the night before Jesus went to that cross, you know, he gave us this meal, which we're getting ready to come to. But then he left the upper room and he went to a garden and he prayed. And I, I thought about this this week as I was preparing this and praying. Of all the times when the Son of Man, who was fully human, could have moved into where you and I go in those moments of fretting. And he was about to take on the sin of the world on a Roman cross and be humiliated and stabbed and bled. If, if there was ever a time that would have been okay to fret, that might have been it. But he didn't. He didn't fret. In fact, he aligned himself once again with his father and said, not my will, but yours be done. And he willingly went to the cross. He committed his way to the Lord. He delighted in him. He trusted God. And God acted. And he will come again. And he will act again on our behalf. And until that day, we wait patiently for him. Okay? So don't fret. Wait patiently on your Lord because he's going to act on your behalf. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then let's come to the table that reminds us that our, our God acts on our behalf. Lord, as I look around this room and I know so many of my friends here are, are weighing decisions and contemplating things they are, are, are looking at doing in their life, in their family, with their schooling, with their money, with their, their, their children and grandchildren. There's so many faces here that personify this waiting, this, this, this need for us to have a clear aligning with your purposes in the world. And I pray for my friends and family and brothers and sisters now that you would make us a group of people that doesn't fret, that doesn't try to take it in our own hands and accomplish things as we see them, but we would be patient. We would delight in you. We'd commit our way to you and we would trust in you this year. So Lord, set us free. Set us free this hour to delight in you. And now as we come to this table, remind us, help us to taste and see once again that you are good. That you've done everything required to bring justice and mercy and righteousness to the earth. Feed us now in this meal, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.